And we're back. Welcome to the Bricks and Mortar Podcast, a show about property for those interested in property. If you're buying, selling, renting, or investing in property, then this is the show for you. And I'm sure that in the next 20 or 30 minutes, you'll find something of interest to you. Last week's show, we talked about the start of the mortgage process. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take you through the initial steps, the preliminary steps as far as organising a mortgage is concerned. This is, the, I guess, the second step in the process of, of buying a property. And uh, over the next uh, 16, 17 weeks or so, we're going to take you through the whole process from start to finish. So that's really what we're going to concentrate on today. Uh, the other thing we're going to talk about is, is property myths and also at the end of the show I'll give you some websites that uh, you can have a look at and uh, there will obviously be property websites that no doubt you'll find of some interest and, and certainly use when you're looking to, to source that property. Mor- mortgage preliminaries, um, when we're talking about mortgage preliminaries as we will do in a, in a short while, we're talking about affordability Long gone are the days where banks and building societies were prepared to to lend you six, seven, possibly even eight times your salary. Uh, So affordability is the watchword as far as lenders are concerned these days. We're going to talk and and take you through Experian reports. Bottom line is if you don't know what an Experian report is or an Equifax report, credit score, you need to know that. That, That's one of the the absolute... um, you know, givens that, that that you have to know about when you're looking to buy a property. We'll talk about decisions in principle and also um, the the strange topic of, of soft and hard footprints. Uh, nothing about size of your feet, but more to do with um, having too many of these and that could put a kibosh on your chances of getting a, a mortgage and eventually purchasing a property. So I'm sitting here in the mobile studios, uh, just dropped off number one daughter uh, at Athletics and I'm contemplating going for a run. We're down at Scotston and uh, I'm probably just going to go on to the old rail track there. I've got the Guitar Half Marathons coming up in about a month's time and I haven't really done too much training since I came off the Rotterdam Marathon about a fortnight ago. Um, but sitting here in the car watching the the rain, well I think it's rain, it might be snow because we've had snow today um, watching the, the, the rain come down it's utterly Baltic outside and uh, staying in the car it is probably looking like a better bet at the moment rather than first of all getting soaked and then chilling my myself to the bones but I think, I guess I'm going to have to get out there uh, strap on the shoes and and go out for half an hour or so and then pick up number number one so listen, I'll catch you on the, on the other side once I'm back from that and uh, we'll have a natter about property myths, the mortgage preliminaries and finally websites, we'll catch you on the other side Alright, we're back here and uh, we're going to talk about some myths. Now, these are property myths. Um, I've been a solicitor for 25, or well, coming on 25 years, and the amount of times where we deal with clients who have just got it completely wrong as far as uh, the, the law, um, what an 
what really they think about as far as what the legal implications are as far as making a decision on a property um, can vary incredibly. And really what I want to do here is to identify, first of all, what the myth is and then uh, tell you exactly what the law is. So the first myth that we're going to talk about is going to be the verbal acceptance. The amount of times that I've had a client come to me and say they've spoken to whoever and they've said that a once an offer has been verbally accepted, then there is no way for either the purchaser or the seller to renege on the deal. That's just a nonsense. Um, all I can say is that that is just a nonsense. Um, the contract in both England and also in Scotland is based upon a written contract. Okay, um, If you verbally agree a deal with somebody, then it will only be cast in stone once a contract has been concluded. Missives have been concluded is sometimes the, the phrase that you'll hear. And really, the missives being concluded will involve a written offer from the purchasing solicitor, a written acceptance from the selling solicitor, and then there is a process of formal letters that go back to and fro between purchasing solicitor and selling solicitor uh, until the either the purchaser or the seller finally accepts a formal letter. Sometimes uh, the missives will consist upon just three letters. Sometimes it's four, five, six. Very rarely does it go past six letters. But ultimately what a solicitor should be telling his client is as soon as missives have been concluded, then confirmation should be given to the client so that they can then understand that they have got a contract in place. So... That is conclusion of missives. Uh, just again to reiterate, a verbal acceptance uh, given by uh, an estate agent or by a seller saying that the offer is in principle acceptable um, is not binding upon the seller. It is, having said that, very unusual for an estate agent or a seller to renege on a deal. But, you know, over 25 years, obviously, I've had circumstances uh, where sometimes the purchaser wants to pull out um, but m more than likely it'll be the, the the seller wanting to pull out so in order to get everything set in stone you need to have missives concluded and that needs to be done in writing so that is the first myth uh, busted and uh, hopefully we'll be busting some more myths about the Scottish property game. Right, I'm now going to talk about the main topic of today's podcast. And this is all about mortgages and really the preliminaries of getting a mortgage. So what you need to be looking at here is do you go and get the mortgage yourself or do you get a broker? to help you out. What a broker is going to be able to do is a broker is going to be able to, in essence, project manage the whole transaction for you. 
um, a good broker will certainly reduce the stress. Um, and if you're a first-time buyer and you're stressed to the nines about finding a property, um, you've got a stressful job, uh, the last thing you want to do is to sit on Gapir, the market, or any of these other uh, comparison websites to go through um, what products that they have. What you've got to watch with these um, compare the market type websites is that not all of the lenders are there so you're not necessarily getting a whole market perspective and that's what a broker that's one of the additional things that a broker will do for you is that the broker will scour the whole market just to make sure that the broker gets the best deal on the market the broker has certainly got more knowledge than you as to what products are out there and again a broker will sit you down and a good broker will identify what the best product is for you. It's not always a two-year fixed. Uh, you might want to look at an offset mortgage or a current account mortgage. I do think that if you're not employed, then you really should be looking at a broker, somebody who's self-employed, a director of a company on a contract. These are the kind of mortgages now that are available, but I think that trying to get a mortgage if you are self-employed, a contractor or a director is becoming increasingly more difficult. Not all the lenders are prepared to look at these kind of mortgages. So you're probably best looking at a broker for that. If times of a, uh, if time is, if it's a time sensitive uh, transaction, then again, the broker is going to know the business development manager and any broker worth his or her salt will be able to pull some strings that certainly you wouldn't be able to do if you were just approaching the high street bank. So certainly I think that there are certain circumstances where you know, you're probably better just going and do it yourself. There will be a, a fee. Be aware that brokers will charge a fee in connection with the work that they are carrying out. Uh, they'll also get a procuration fee from the uh, from the lender. I would be suggesting that you should go with a broker who's going to charge a, a fee and not one that's based purely upon a procuration fee because what you might find is that you're then being given choices where the procuration fee is the highest because you're not actually paying a fee so broker or not once you've decided to, to either do it yourself or go down the broker route then really there are three things that you've got to look at here it's can I afford the mortgage can I get a mortgage and do I have a deposit these three things are probably the three most important things that you need to identify before you take the next step and, and go and look at properties. I would be saying that you shouldn't even be looking at properties until you have identified uh, and, either, and at least had um, some thought as to affordability. Can I get the mortgage and the deposit? These days, affordability is the absolute watchword with regards to lenders. Long gone are the days where you can pop into your local branch and they're prepared to throw five, six, seven times your salary 
uh, you know, these days back in 2007, 2000, and before the crash in 2008, they just, it, it's not happening. The mortgage review took place a couple of years ago and there's been an enormous sea change as far as what the lenders are now prepared to agree to lend and it's all down to affordability. So what is affordability? Well, in essence it is a stress test by the lenders and what they will look at is they will identify what your income is. They will probably look at, at four and a half times your salary a joint application will look at 3.5, 3.5 times your salary and what you will do is you will be asked various questions in connection with what is called the affordability check. What they'll look at is your credit commitments, do you have any unsecured loans, any car loans, do you have a student loan, um, what your commitments are with regards to credit cards. They'll also look at dependents. Do you have any children? Um, are you buying the property with somebody else who isn't going to be on the mortgage? The other question that they'll ask will be income. Obviously, they'll ask you about the salary, but they'll look at bonuses. They'll look at any tax credits or, or uh, income that you're getting from the government. Second jobs they'll take into account as well, uh, and also any income, rental income that you're getting from from rental properties. Finally, they'll have a sort of high level overview on your expenditure. So when you're putting the numbers into the computer uh, for the affordability test, then you need to probably be aware of what the council tax likely to be, what your utilities are going to be, and certainly your, your mobile phones some of the lenders will look to ask you all about going out and whether or not uh, and how much the, the cost of, of that is. All of the lenders will have affordability calculators on their websites and you don't have to be a broker to um, clarify exactly how much money the lender is going to lend you. And not all lenders are the same. Uh, some lenders will be more, well, will be happier to lend you more money, and the smaller building societies will probably have tighter restrictions as far as affordability is concerned. So, those are the three things that you need to really look at affordability can I get a mortgage and a deposit before you even start looking at a property? Uh, deposit is something that they will look at. They'll look at deposits from uh, the bank of mum and dad. But really, if you're sensible um, and you are really wanting to get a mortgage, then you really need to look at start saving. Uh, there is an ISA, government ISA, uh, which you might want to have a look at. Um, and that's probably a, as good a vehicle as any with regards to saving for the long term in, in relation to the saving of a deposit. The next thing you need to look at is what's called your Experian report, um, your Equifax, your, your credit score. This is a score of your credit worthiness and it's marked out of a thousand and pretty much all lenders will want to see sight of that. So 
you should be speaking with Experian. I think that you can get a 30-day free trial uh, and then after that, then you're on to a monthly subscription. So you need to, I think, get your Experian report, find out what your credit score is. The credit score is something that, as I say, the banks and building societies will look at and they will scour over. It will demonstrate whether or not you're a good bet for the lender or not. A lower Experian report, then the less likely it is that you're going to get a mortgage. It will look at whether or not you're on the voters roll. I mean, that's of all the things that you need to be is is get on the voters roll. The, the banks and building societies need to know that you are identifiable and a lot of lenders just, you won't even get past the first hurdle if you are not on the voters roll. Go back to the Experian report or the credit score, it will flag up if you have missed any payments, gone into default. Uh, there is no hiding place as far as the credit score is concerned and this is probably one of the reasons why the banks and building societies use them. If you have got defaults, uh, if you've got a raft of defaults, if you are not great at managing your credit commitments, then why would a lender be prepared to lend to you? The good news is that you can repair your credit score. It does take a little bit of time. But again, it's all about preparation as far as buying a property and getting a mortgage is concerned. Just make sure that you understand that the Experian report is very important and you really need to make sure that your credit report really starts with a, a, an 8 or a 9 because if you're down amongst the dead men at 4, 5 and 6 then you, know, you are really going to be struggling unless you've got an incredible deposit to put down and even then the banks are all about your being able to manage your finances and if, if the, credit core, the credit report shows that you're in one default after the next, then why would they lend to you? They're going to look at somebody who's got a credit score starting with a nine and who has got uh, no defaults on their credit score. So that's Experian and that's credit scores. Um, there are lenders out there who will look at you if you have got defaults, if you're adamant that you want to buy the property now and, and not wait until you clean up your credit score, then the likes of Aldermore are uh, a wee bit more comfortable with um, a bit of a messy credit history. Once you have got the affordability done, you have worked out what the deposit is, then you can really start drilling down and, and looking at a mortgage. You can also probably start looking at properties and identifying whether or not you're wanting to get a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, etc. That there is no point in looking at properties until you've got those three things done because you might have champagne tastes and tenants lager money uh, and what I mean by that is that everybody likes to try and buy a property that they can't afford, but it's a fallacy. There's no point in even starting to look until you know what you are able to afford and then what the bank are prepared to lend you. So go out, once you've done the affordability and the deposit, go out, start looking for property and 
once you've got the property, then the next hurdle is the decision in principle. Let's assume that you found a property, uh, it's one that you've fallen in love with. When you put an offer in, there is nothing better than a solicitor telling an estate agent that their client's got a decision in principle. And those are the three magic words, decision in principle. That's what the estate agents want to hear, um, because what they know by hearing that is that you've gone through the affordability checks, you're a pretty good bet as far as your credit score is concerned, and the only thing that remains outstanding is the underwriting process. And if you're in competition at a closing date or in competition with somebody else, you're certainly going to be ahead of the queue if you have a decision in principle. It demonstrates that you are a better bet and more organised than somebody who doesn't. And, and, in, and really, that is what the estate agent and the seller is wanting. They're wanting somebody who's going to give surety, somebody who's going to be able to move the transaction forward quickly, get missives concluded quickly. We'll come and talk about this in the coming weeks. But the whole crux of buying and selling property is round the missives, the contract. Without a contract, you've got nothing. And nobody in their right mind, certainly a purchaser, nobody in their right mind is going to be contracting to buy a property unless they know that they're absolutely nailed on as far as a mortgage is concerned. So back to the decision in principle. The decision in principle will take the parts of the affordability test, the stress test, and it will add on and go in a wee bit deeper as far as um, the information is concerned, income, expenditure, dependence. Um, it, it is, I say, there's three parts of the mortgage process. You've got affordability, you've got the decision in principle, and then you've got the full application. And the decision in principle is halfway between an affordability and the full application. The lender will give you a piece of paper called a decision in principle. That will state that they are prepared to lend you a certain amount of money, but there are caveats on that. Um, the caveat is really that it will need to go to full underwriting. So in full underwriting, they'll need to have a look at the survey. Uh, they will also need to take up employers' references. Um, if you're self-employed, they'll want to see your what are called SA302s. We'll touch on that in the coming weeks. Uh, and they may want to look at the last two years' certified accounts. So once you've got the decision in principle, then you can really be moving forward with the, the purchasing process. The thing is, and this is what you've got to watch, the decision in principle will only last 90 days. So that's three months. And I'm just about to tell you about soft and hard footprints. And this is where it becomes a little bit tricky as to the timing of getting a decision in principle. The good news is that if you've got all your information in place, then getting a decision in principle is a 30-minute job for any decent broker. <clears throat> Um, but a decision in principle will only last 90 days. So as a solicitor, what I would be looking, I think, to get the client to do is that if you were on a one-to-one -one negotiation and it wasn't a closing date and you were fairly certain that this was the property that you wanted to buy 
and that you were the only cab in the rank and the only other party interested in, in all likelihood, it was just down to the money uh, as to whether or not you were going to be successful. I think in those circumstances, I'd be asking the broker to get a decision in principle because we were fairly confident that the offer was going to be accepted. If, however, that you're going at a closing date and everybody in their ante wants this particular property and you're up against three, four, five people and the chances are you've not got a great deposit and the chances are that although you love the property, you're not, it's going to be unlikely that you're going to be successful, then I think in those circumstances, what we should be explaining to the lenders is that you don't, sorry, explain to the to the estate agents is that you don't have a decision in principle. That there are ways and means around that, and really it's all down to the soft and hard uh, footprint. So I better explain to you exactly what I mean by that. Not only have you got the issue of the 90 day period um, that the decision in principle lasts, the issue with the decision in principle is that for a majority of lenders, in fact, many lenders, there's not too many. Um, out there who don't leave a hard footprint. And what I mean by hard footprint is that the decision in principle will leave a hard footprint on your credit file. And that can lower your credit score. The more decisions in principle, the more hard footprints that they leave on your um, Experian report, the lower that the Experian report will become and the lower the Experian report will become, then the less likely it is that you are going to be able to get a mortgage from a bank or building society. So you're a bit of a catch-22. You need a high credit score and you need a decision in principle. The more decisions in principle that you take, then the lower your credit score becomes. I think the reason why the banks and building societies um, state that is that they want to make sure that somebody goes and gets a mortgage just with one bank. And they don't want somebody who flits around um, asking one bank, then the next bank for a mortgage, then the next bank. Although you might think, well, I have to try and get the best deal. And so therefore I'm only prepared to, to, to get a decision in principle. So I know exactly that the lender is going to lend to me. The banks don't take they don't take that view. The bank takes the view that if they see that you have four or five decisions in principle leaving hard footprints on your credit score, all they'll think is negatively that you, you didn't get a mortgage with the first one, you were blown away by the second one, and the third one weren't interested. And it was only the fourth one that you managed to, to get through the, the hoops and, and over the hurdles. And they will then see you as being a bad bet because they will just immediately think that you don't have the pound shillings and pence to be able to afford the mortgage. So hard footprints, you want as, as few decisions in principle as possible. You could be even looking at, at two, possibly three, and that would drag your credit score down sufficiently um, to mean that you weren't going to get a mortgage. So what can you do? Well, there are lenders out there that will only leave a soft footprint, i.e. the footprint is such that it will not bring down your credit score. And that's great. It means that it gives you a snapshot as to whether or not a particular lender is prepared to give you a loan on a decision in principle. 
The difficulty, clearly, and you may have already clocked this, is that that is maybe not necessarily the lender that you're going to go with. And with all lenders, all lenders have criteria, and it may be that that criteria for that lender is not the same criteria as the lender that you eventually go to. And although criteria are similar, if you are on the borderline as to whether or not you're going to get a mortgage, then you could get a decision in principle soft um, footprint with one lender saying you're absolutely good to go. And then when you actually do the decision in principle with the other lender, leaves a hard footprint and they turn around and say, no, you don't pass muster and you don't fit our criteria. There's no, there's no magic bullet here, is really what I'm saying. But the likes of Aldermore and Halifax will leave the soft footprint and many a broker will go down that route just to test the water, just to make sure that you are going to at least pass muster with these two lenders. So there you go. That's decision in principle. I would say that if you're negotiating on a one-to-one -one basis, then you, know, you should be getting a decision in principle. If you are just looking at a closing date where everybody in their aunties after the property, then my suggestion would be just to get a soft footprint uh, or get a, a decision in principle from one of the lenders who's going to leave a soft footprint. So we've been going about 20 minutes. We've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to cover. Um, and in summary, I'll just reiterate again, as I said at the start, is that there are three things that you need to look at before you even start looking at property. It's affordability. Can you afford the mortgage? Secondly is deposit. Do I have to raid the bank of mum and dad? Thirdly, can I even get a mortgage? Those are the three things that you need before you even start looking for property affordability. Can I get the mortgage and the deposit? And then do you do it yourself? Do you decide, you know what, I've got enough time, I've got enough expertise, I'll, I'll go and use comparethemarket.com and get a mortgage. Well, that, that's fine. There will be people out there who, who that fits the bill, etc., my own point of view is that, you know, a broker is going to be able to be the best person to look for a mortgage for you. He's going to be able to answer your queries. He's going to be able to project manage the deal. He or she is going to give you the best options open to you, whether that's a fixed rate, a tracker rate, an offset mortgage. In fact, the broker might come up with things that you never even thought about. And that's what you're paying. You're paying for their expertise They'll look at market, they'll look at the best deal for you. And as I've said before, they'll project manage the whole process for you. Buying and selling of property is all about being organised. And if you can have all of your, your ducks lined up, then the whole process is going to be less stressful for you. And if you're not organised, then it's going to be stressful. Irrespective of whether or not you've got everything organised, there can be stresses and strains involved because you are not the only person in the process. And as I say, in the coming weeks and, and months, you'll understand that no matter how well your solicitor or broker does his or her job, they have to rely upon other people. And if those other people drop the ball, then it's going to be stressful. So why do that yourself? Get a decent 
good solicitor, get a good broker and they'll be able to help you out. Affordability. Can I get the mortgage? Deposit. And then start looking for a property. Okay, so that's another show in the can. Please advise to crack another one out following last week's podcast. Next week we're going to start in the process of actually finding your property and getting your foot on the ladder. We'll talk about estate agents that you're likely to come across. We'll tell you a wee bit more about what you should be doing as far as the viewings are concerned and what questions you need to be asking the seller. We'll also be telling you who you should be speaking to and in essence finding out a plan for you to get your foot on the property ladder. On the myth side, what we're going to do is explore the myth of the Scottish system being better than the English system. So we'll have a look at that. And that's really it. I'm, I'm off now to crack out a, a park run. Park runs the 5k runs which are, are held. This one's out at Victoria Park in uh, the west end of Glasgow. So it's part of the training for the half marathon, the Qatar half marathon, which I'm doing at the end of the month. Beautiful day in Glasgow this morning, Um, still flipping cold out there, but uh, looking forward to to going out. Before I go, please remember to get in touch. Uh, Delighted to have a chat with you in connection with any aspect of domestic conveyancing. Please join our Facebook page. Just join Facebook, go on to Facebook, look in groups and type in the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Delighted to have you on board. And the website, don't forget about the website. I do a blog every week on the website. Uh, This week's blog is all to do with rental property and the increase in the rents that are likely to happen on the basis that the mortgage works have increased their criteria. So have a look at that. You can get the website on Podcast. Again, that's a useful tool when you're looking to buy and sell property. So you've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. What we're trying to do is change the perceptions on buying property in Scotland. See you next time.